Hi, this is Aaron Rios, lead pastor of Garden City Church in Beverly, Mass. I pray that you are enriched and encouraged as you press on towards the cause of Christ. You know, there's been this area in my life that if I had to sum it up and say, what's my greatest need? And I got a lot of needs in my life. But if the, if, if I was to say, what's my greatest need? Um, I'd probably try to slip up my hand and say, um, unspoken, if this was like a, a group looking for prayer requests right now, because it's not something I like to put out there. It's something I've prided myself in, and it's been my greatest downfall. Um, and I got a lot of needs in my life, but if there was one area where I need God to get a hold of, one area where I need the spirit to just kind of hover over and help me out, it's an area I've tried to hide, but I can't hide. I'm gonna go ahead and be transparent with you today. And that area is located above my chin and beneath my nose, it's my mouth. <laughs> my mouth has gotten me in so much trouble. I have found that when I go into my time of prayer and I go down my checklist of things that I need God to forgive me of, it's often surrounding the things I've said. Because what you say is really a reflection of the condition of your heart. And so I know that if I'm talking garbage or if I've been angry or if I've been uh, impatient and I've verbalized it, I realize that that is a reflection of an impatient heart. Now, there was a season in my life when my mouth was entirely out of control. Part of my testimony is the day God visited me, set me on course. I had a powerful encounter with God many years ago that really shifted my life around and put me on course to where I am right now. And one of the first things that God got a hold of in that powerful encounter, my Damascus Road experience, I like to call it, was my mouth. There were things I said and the way I spoke, my language was out of this world. And after that powerful encounter, there was a dramatic change in my language. But here we are years later and I still recognize that I need God's grace to touch uh, my heart so that what flows out of me is, is a reflection of his goodness. So this is a constant work. I started talking about my language because I really hear often in phrases that might be common if you're a churchgoer, but maybe you've never heard about these things. Um, they're just, it's fired off like one of those ping pong guns or one of those tennis ball guns, hoping somebody will catch it, assuming everybody's got a mitt. But I recognize that not everyone has a full biblical understanding of this famous word, faith. When I hear faith, I think of crossing my fingers and closing my eyes really tight and just saying to myself, believe, believe, believe. But that's not what God is talking about when he's talking about being a, a person of great faith. I want you to understand, according to Romans chapter 12, uh, verse uh, three, we're told that every person has been allotted a measure of faith. Now, I believe that every human being on planet Earth ever born and ever will be born is given to them a particular amount of faith. Uh, later on in Corinthians, we're told about different gifts and that there's a gift of faith. This is a different kind of faith. The faith I'm talking about is the faith you've been born and bred with. This is enough faith that you can put your faith in Jesus. That's your starting point. Just enough faith that you can get up in the morning and live. Everybody has a measure of faith. But what is this faith? How do we grow this faith? Today I wanna to talk to you about the servant's appeal. Uh, the servant's appeal is a story we find in Luke chapter seven, verses one through 10. That's what I'm gonna be honing in on. This is the story 
of this mysterious centurion who stays behind the, the curtain, much like the wizard in The Wizard of Oz. He actually is never in the story. Let me read this to you. It says, And when he had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. And a certain centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. And when he had heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. And when they had come to Jesus, they earnestly entreated him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, for it is he who built our synagogues. Now Jesus started on his way with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion uh, sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to this one, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. He turned and said to the multitude that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. So reading out of the Inner Varsity Press commentary, I really encourage you to grab a commentary. These are books that, um, that spend some time really digging into biblical passages. I love it that these people are much smarter than me. They spent more time. They make my job easier. They make my walk easier. They helps me out with my comprehension of scripture. So go find a commentary. You can get it anywhere. They're online and, and use it. Let it accompany your biblical reading. But something that's pointed out here is that faith involves humility, gratitude, and service. Take note of that. Faith requires and it involves humility, gratitude, and service. So the attention in this passage notes that the person who is seeking the miracle, that's the centurion, recognizes that Jesus is more than a teacher or a healer. And Jesus takes note of faith despite your background, your gender, or your nationality. Jesus takes note. This is a Roman guard, right? They're in opposition to the Jews. This is a volatile time right now between the, uh, the Jewish people and Rome. Jesus didn't come to them. He came to the Jewish people, but yet he's still able to respond to a centurion. He's still able to respond to someone that comes to him by faith. So let's set this up really quick. Jesus in the prior chapter has just delivered a sermon on the plane. that's um, similar to the Sermon on the Mount. Some people believe it might be one in the same event. Some people believe these might be two different events. Regardless, he just finished teaching. Uh, and prior to that, he spent the whole night praying and And God has led him to go out and pick all of his disciples. He's going around, he's healing, and Jesus, his fame is growing. And so I want you to take note here that the message of Jesus builds faith. It says, when he heard of Jesus. Now, Christ grew famous in these regions. And can I challenge you, we've got to make Jesus famous We've got to make Christ famous. Listen, it's the speaking of who Jesus is. He didn't really fully know who Jesus was, but that's the other side. What has Jesus done in your life? There is a doing that Jesus wants to make happen in your life, so you've got a story. There's a doing. There is action. We've equated great faith in the Christian experience to philosophy and theology and and, uh, apologetics and, and just you know, cracking open these just occasional 
uplifting words and we've denied the power. We've denied living the day-to-day reality of the Christian faith that Christ wants you to encounter him so that you have a story to tell. The message of Jesus builds faith. The message that this centurion heard is that there is a man named Jesus and this man named Jesus can heal. It's a very simple message. There wasn't a theology class involved with this. All he knew is that there was a man named Jesus traveling around doing something and it created faith in him. Enough faith that he was able to send forth people. People came to him for all sorts of needs and were never turned away. I'm reminded of a church that I attended when one of my girls, she was really young, and the pastor said, does anybody have any prayer requests? She raised her hand. She must have been under five years old. And she said, I have a prayer request. I have a boo-boo. Can you pray for my boo-boo? And I just love this pastor because he said, come on up here. We're going to pray for your boo-boo because Jesus cares about your (laughs) boo-boos. Jesus cares about your boo-boos when you're four and five years old. The little cuts and scrapes that you get from playing with your brothers and sisters, the little cuts and scrapes you get from climbing trees or falling off your bike. You can come to Jesus for your little boo-boos, the little cuts. Can I tell you when you're 30, 40, 50 years old, that the boo-boos that you had on your hands may be now in your minds. They may be in your hearts. Jesus still cares about the cuts, the bruises, the bumps. You can come to Jesus. You will not be turned away. I want to encourage people when they tell me they've got things going on in their life. You can go to Jesus for that. There's no request too big or small. I want you to know that God is so big that when you come to him in prayer, you don't got to qualify your prayer. You don't got to go, well, this isn't big enough for God because God's really busy dealing with the whole world. God's big enough to hear every prayer request in the world, but God is also big enough that you have his attention 24-7. You're not in competition. You're not fighting God for people. God has you and you have him if you come to him in faith. Now let's look at verse three and four real quick. It said, and when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. And when they had come to Jesus, they earnestly entreated him saying, he is worthy for you to grant this to him. Could you stop there for a minute? He is worthy. It's funny that the first people that this centurion sent was religious leaders. Have you ever felt like in order to get to God that you got to you got to go through a religious leader? You got to get somebody who's qualified. You know, did, did you ever feel like in order to get a hold of God that it was going to require somebody else because you weren't worthy? See, I can just imagine this centurion. I can imagine him saying, I really need to get a hold of this Jesus guy. You guys are religious. Why don't you go on my behalf? Here is a man who is of authority and he does not go make the appeal himself but he delegates his authority for others to go on his behalf and represent him. Now, I want you to catch this. People of authority have representatives. I'm gonna say it one more time because I really really wanna drive this home, that people who are in positions of authority, especially in this culture, see, that's the thing, it gets lost. It gets lost in translation. It gets lost in translation when the Pharisees say, well, we are children of Abraham. You know, okay, well, 
are you being literal? Because you're not literally like his son. You're his great, 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 you know, grandson. Um, you know, Jesus Christ, the son of God. Yes, he was literally the son of God. But is there more to that? Let's scratch beneath that because I want you to understand that people of authority have representatives. When the Pharisees uh, sat there and declared that they were the children of Abraham, right? They were saying we are his representatives. We are his heirs. We can stand here as people who are qualified for the promise. Oh, this is getting good. You see, when Jesus Christ said, I am the son of God, when Jesus Christ claimed to be one with the father, when he claimed to be um, the Messiah, when he, when these claims that Christ have made, and some say he didn't make those claims, read the Bible, he made those claims so much so that they accused him of blasphemy and said he claims to be God. Christ did stand there and declare these things, declaring to be the representative of God, be declaring to be the heir of the promise, declaring to be God incarnate, God in the flesh. See, when you begin to understand that people of authority have representatives, then it'll begin to make sense that Jesus Christ, the power of God, the one seated on the right hand of the Father, he himself, the being the one of authority, has now delegated authority to you. Oh, come on. Jesus Christ, let me, let me help you out here. It says here in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, behold, I have given you authority. You've been given authority. Now, that's not the focal point of this message because we've diverted just a little bit from the story of the centurion, but I'd be amiss if I don't let you know that people of authority have representatives. Don't you know that if you belong to Christ, you are a representation of God to everyone around you. You're not God, but you are a representative. You are the hands and the feet of Christ Jesus. You are the hands and feet. You are the representation. You are a representative. You can go in his name. You can pray for people in his name. You can lay hands on the sick in his name. You can cast out devils in his name. You can raise the dead in his name, but I don't think we've really tackled this big idea that we're representatives. So this centurion in this culture sent out these religious people to go and make an appeal. But here's the good news. When it comes to our relationship with God, I want you to know that you've been qualified to go to God. You see, God's not looking for a title. He's not looking for status. He's not looking at your clothes. He's not looking at your haircut or lack of hair. He's not looking at, at how much money you got in the bank. He is looking for anyone that'll come to him by faith. See, you don't have to go to a pastor. Uh, you don't have to be affiliated with a particular denomination. Now, for spiritual health and vitality, that's a different story. But what I'm talking to you about is in your storm, is in your trouble, in the midnight hour when you can't get on the phone and reach out to someone, you can go to God in the name of Jesus. We have a religious leader who sent out representatives to represent him. Who do you have in your life to represent you? Because we do have those times in our life when we need someone desperately. I wonder if there's somebody in your life that you could call on. I wonder if there's someone that you could reach out to who'll pray with you, who'll read the Bible with you. Is there someone in your life that you can reach out to? Do you have encouragement in your life? I want you to know that your Christian faith was never meant to be navigated alone. You weren't called to be a lone ranger. You weren't called to do ministry on your own. You weren't called to serve God on your own. Oh, I realize you got missionaries that are out there on the mission field seemingly alone. I know that there are pastors feeling lonely. I know that there are people serving God all around the place that they've given up stuff. And because of that, by virtue of what they sacrificed, they now feel alone. 
but it doesn't have to be that way. God has called you to community. Can I encourage you? Don't wait for community. Go out there and initiate it. Verses three and four show us that God is moved by faith and not achievement. So here you go. You've got these religious leaders are sent out on their mission to go and represent. What's the first thing they do? Oh, Jesus, you want to come to this guy because he is like the most amazing person. He built synagogues and he he formed the Eiffel Tower and he chiseled Mount Rushmore. Jesus, this guy is worthy for you to do something. See, people in authority can from time to time be misrepresented and even exaggerated. It's so easy to look at people that seem like they've got it together. And we believe, man. God is doing stuff in their life because they must be worthy. They must, they must got a connection with God. Wow. See, their, their exaggeration, it really elevated man. And this wasn't the message that the centurion wanted shared. And you know what? Somehow the centurion knew he was being mis- misrepresented. Have you ever felt that God only responds to holy men and prestigious, important people around you? Seems like God's Always doing stuff for everybody else, but not for you. I want you to notice a couple of distinctions here. Look, at first, it says that he sent the religious leaders and they misrepresented him. It's not until verse six that it tells us, and we'll get there, that he sent some friends. See, you don't need to try to impress Christ. You don't have to try to make yourself look good. God wants you as you are, not for who you think you are. God wants you just as you are, not for who you want him to perceive you as. This message was, I'm not worthy. And somehow it became, oh, Jesus, he is worthy. You see, it wasn't his deserving, as his friends put it, or his deeds, but it was his great faith. This is, this is what's phenomenal. You see, in the middle of acknowledging he's unworthy to come to Jesus, it didn't stop him from going to Jesus. I don't know what you've got going on in your life right now. I don't know what struggle you have. I don't know what you feel like you've got to clean up before you come to Christ. I don't know if you felt like you can't go to church or you, I can never do that. I can't get involved in this. I can't do that for God because I'm unworthy. I got to clean this up. But I want you to know that it's in the acknowledgement of your unworthiness that will begin to demonstrate great faith when you come to God in the middle of feeling unworthy, when you go to church when you feel like you shouldn't be there, when you share that testimony when you feel like you haven't been living like a Christian. I'm talking about moving past feeling worthy into action. Moving past what you're feeling to the reality that if you belong to Christ, God is with you. God loves you. God will never let you go. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And even though you have days of trouble, even though you have days when you feel like you've blown it, even though you have days when you feel like you've made a fool of yourself and a fool of Christ, I want you to know that God is still there. God still loves you. And you don't have to dust yourself off, make yourself look good for God to approve of you. You were approved of at the cross when Jesus died for you. Jesus responded to the faith of a community willing to come together. Do you realize that we represent each other as believers? Do you realize that everywhere you go, you represent Christ? It hurts my heart when I, when I catch the news and I see you got a group of Christians that are picketing funerals and, and, and holding signs that say, turn or burn. You know, it breaks my heart because they're representing me. They're representing you. And I'm not out there. I'm not going to fight them. I'm not going to let them do. I'm not here to correct another man's servant. All I know is I want to represent Christ well, and I want to challenge you. 
is a very fearful thing when we say, man, don't judge me. Only God can judge me. What? Do you know what? Do you know what you're saying? Timothy says, judge yourself before God judges you. Really? Only God can? No, no. I want to get around other people that can sharpen me. I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. I want to get around others that have an understanding of their faith and their knowledge of Jesus. I want to get around other people that have walked it out for years because I don't want to be judged by God in, in that way. Oh, I realize we will all stand before God and be judged. But I also recognize that if I get on my knees and I recognize the holes in my life and the areas in my life, like I started this off with my mouth or whatever part of my life that needs God's grace, and God is faithful. He'll cleanse me. He'll help me. And he'll help you too. It wasn't his deserving, as his friends put it. It was his great faith. It was his acknowledgement that though I am unworthy, I'm still going to approach Jesus. See, Jesus responded to the faith of the community. But it wasn't the high and mighty. It was the lowly. It was the servant's appeal. Look, here's a few things I want to close with. I want you to understand that faith, in as much as it's an individual, independent response, you gotta get along with God. You gotta ask him to strengthen your faith. Yeah, that's important. But I want you to understand that faith is a community response. Something powerful happens when the body of Christ comes together. Something happens when we come to church together. We worship together. We touch something together. We believe something together. We ask God together. Faith is a community response. Book of Acts tells us they came together. They met in the synagogues. They met in homes. They shared their belongings. They came together. Faith is a community response. Do you have a community of believers around you? Are you trying to swim solo right now? Are you trying to maintain your faith by going out in the world and surrounding yourself with unbelievers and then wonder why you're spiritually deficient, wondering why you feel spiritually ill, wondering why your life looks like the life of an unbeliever? I'm not talking about quarantining yourself from the world, no, but I'm talking about you gotta have a home base. You gotta have a place to launch from. I'm talking about a community of faith. Look, I wanna touch on just a few more things. I wanna talk to you about normal faith. Normal faith is good and normal faith is what I strive for. God, make me a man of faith. I want my faith to be defined by a heavenly standard and let that be the norm for all believers. What, what is normal faith? Well, faith is responding to the things that God has spoken, things God has promised. There's things God has spoken and God has promised and I struggle to live that out and believe it. You feeling sick? But I believe God has promised us healing. I have a hard time with that from time to time. God's my peace. Have I struggled with my peace? God's my provider. Have I struggled with my provisions and faith in these areas? Yes, I have struggled with normal day-to-day -day faith. I have struggled to walk out in confidence and boldness with an inner witness to the things which God has spoken and promised with an assurance in those things. But oh God, make me a man of faith, normal faith. But notice Jesus turns to his disciples and said, nowhere in Israel have I seen such great faith. Great faith. What's great faith? Can I talk to you for a minute about great faith? Listen, great faith is approaching God based on his character before the promise is made because you're confident that you know him. Let me, let me say that again. Great faith. Great faith is when you approach God based on his character, 
long before the promise was ever made because you know him. Great faith is going to God. Great faith for this centurion was in his condition of unworthiness still, sending people out on his behalf, approaching Christ while he felt unworthy before Jesus ever said, your servant is whole, but he still approached him. Great faith, as we find, are the friends ripping back the roof and dropping their paralytic friend, moving in great faith. Faith, can I tell you, great faith knows God. Great faith is a byproduct of someone who knows God. Do you know him? See, when you begin to know God, you begin to move. You begin to do things in a different way. You begin to step out and you say, listen, I'm not too sure about this, but I know my God and I know God has called me. I know God has commissioned me. I know that God has made me. I know that God has loved love for me. I know that God is a savior. I know that Christ Jesus died on the cross for me. And so I might be fighting a little bit of anxiety right now. I might be fighting a little bit of sickness. I might be fighting a little bit of fear. I might be fighting some loss in my life, but I'm going to be a person of great faith. I know the God in who I am and who I serve. Like Paul said, when he was on a boat in the storm, shipped out, heading towards his destiny, facing hardship, great faith allows you to stand boldly and confidently when you're facing that hardship. Do you want to be a man or a woman of great faith? You got to know him. Oh, you got to know him. I want to invite you to be a person of great faith. See, you can be a man or a woman of great faith. You know why? Because of the cross. This is what it's all about. It's all about, listen, the cross is not a one-time invitation that we, we ask people to raise their hand and say, if you want to come to Jesus, the cross isn't just a destination. It's not just a one-time event. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. The cross is a journey. When the Romans crucified people, they made them carry the cross and walk. Why? Because they wanted everyone to look and see. This person is marked. They're under my submission. They're under the authority of Rome. They have committed an offense. Let everybody see. You realize when Jesus said, pick up your cross. Oh, when he said, pick up your cross, he wasn't just saying, go pick up your cross and die on it. He said, pick up your cross and live. Pick up your cross and walk. Pick up your cross and follow me. Yeah, part of following Jesus, there is a death to self. There is a death to your desires. There is a death. There's a, there's a death of sin. But can I tell you that there is a life and that life is marked. It's all because of the cross of Jesus. You can be a person of faith. You can be a person who knows God because Jesus died on the cross that you can have peace with God and that you might know him. Do you know him? I want to pray for you right now. I really want to pray for you. Wherever you're listening to this, I want to pray that something is stirred inside of you that cries out, God, make me a man, make me a person, make me a woman of faith, great faith. Oh, I want to be a person of average faith, but I don't ever want to settle for that because as I begin to know you, then I begin to move. I begin to live. My life begins to resound of a person of faith. 
Let me pray for you, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, to all that are in the listening of my voice right now, I ask you that your Holy Spirit would begin to move on them. I pray that something begins to stir in their hearts, even now, oh God, to the one that's fighting sickness in their bodies. Let your word begin to move. Let faith rise up in them to the one struggling with addiction, God, struggling with anxiety, struggling with fear, struggling with doubt. Oh God, to the one whose faith feels like it's weak, remind them that to each have been given a measure of faith, a measure to believe in Christ, and a measure to go after the Savior. Father, I'm asking you that we be transformed into a people who can demonstrate great faith for your glory and for your honor forever and ever. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. We ask this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen and amen. God bless you. Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. I pray you were encouraged, enriched, and inspired to chase after God. If you enjoyed today's podcast, why don't you take a minute and share it? Let's encourage each other with God's word. And remember, if you do not have a church to attend, we invite you to visit us at Garden City Church. We're located at 140 Bridge Street in Beverly, Massachusetts, and we meet in the Emmanuel Congregational Church building. If you need prayer or an encouragement, I invite you to email me at pastor at Garden City church.net or you can visit me online at aaronrios.com or any social media outlet hey till next time keep pressing on towards christ god bless you